Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the program. I hope you had a good summer. I suspect some of you did, and some of you did not. That's how life is with a behaviorally challenging kid. I've talked with a few parents lately who couldn't wait for summer to be over um, and get their kids back to school and not have quite so much family time. Uh, But I hope you had a good enough summer when people are asking me what kind of a summer I have. I told them it was good enough, which means not enough downtime, but I suppose enough to see me through. I am delighted to be back with you again. We're going to do this every week again, every Tuesday, 11 a.m., Uh, Once again, this is your opportunity to call in, send in emails, get your questions answered, get the support you need. Life with a behaviorally challenging child is not easy, and um, Lives in the Balance and this program are here to help. Once again, that call-in number, 347 nine nine four two nine eight one quite a few emails stacked up over the summer so I thought I would start there but let's really start by my asking you how you doing um, you taking some time for yourself if you have a behaviorally challenging kid that's sometimes something people forget to do sometimes we get so consumed and and understandably so we get so consumed by how things are going with our child and how worried we are and what we need to do to try to make things better and reflecting on an incident in which things did not go well. Sometimes it's hard to remember to uh, that you're you still. So uh, how are you doing? How are things going with you and your challenging child? Um If you're new to this program or if you're new to collaborative problem solving, have you you downloaded the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and tried to figure out what skills your child is lacking and tried to identify these specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes yet? If not, it's right there on the Lives in the Balance website in the paperwork section. Have you... um, been on the Lives in the Balance website and checked out the 
different um, sections of the learning section of the website. Uh, do, you, do you know about collaborative problem solving? Have you have you watched those streaming videos? Very informative. They're also about to be replaced. They're a, a little dated at this point, just a little. They're still good, just a little dated. Um, they're going to be updated in the next month or so. Uh, have you been in the Plan B in Action section of the website? Uh, where you can see what Plan B looks like. New videos are coming there as well. That's taken me longer than I wanted it to, but they're coming. If you are not new to collaborative problem solving, how is Plan B going? Are you doing Plan B proactively 99.9% .9 of the time? If so, good for you, what it's supposed to be. That means you must have uh, a list of unsolved problems. You must have prioritized your list of unsolved problems. You must know which problems you're working on and which ones you're not. And of course, that makes it possible to work on the ones that you've decided you're working on proactively. How's Plan B going? You hanging out in the empathy step long enough to really get a clear sense of what your child's concern or perspective is on a given unsolved problem? Are you uh, being clear about what your concern is? Uh, are you collaborating on solutions and coming up with ones that are realistic? Realistic, that's a biggie. You don't want to agree to solutions that are doomed from the start because they weren't realistic in the first place. Are your solutions mutually satisfactory? Now, if you're a collaborative problem-solving, well, radical, have you checked out the Taking Action section of the Lives in the Balance website? Recently updated. It's in the Collaborate section. You'll find the Bill of Rights for Challenging Kids in there. You'll find... Um, well, you'll find the Taking Action section in there. Uh, Lives in the Balance has begun doing what I had always envisioned Lives in the Balance doing. When we hear about a place, and we usually hear about this through the news media, we don't have our own private investigation arm at Lives in the Balance yet, but maybe someday. Uh, when we find out about challenging kids being treated in inhumane ways, ineffective ways out there, we respond and reach out to people who could change that, and we often send them care packages because we're not here to keep the seat warm. We're here to make sure that if there's a place where challenging kids are being treated in an inhumane, ineffective way, that we do the best we can to change that. So, how was your summer? I've gotten some emails over the summer, so I am going to start answering some of these. As you know, callers take priority on this program. We might be a little slow in the caller department today because we haven't been on for three months, but uh, got quite a few emails to uh, get to. Here's Email number one, Dr. Green, what are the best strategies if your child does explode? 
working to learn your strategies and starting to get it, good. But in the meantime, we still have explosions. My child will throw things, sometimes at me, sometimes across the room, slam doors, broke one, run away in a playground, or call me a name. I find the only things that work are trying to physically hold him, reassure him, or spank him. Now, I'm, you're not going to help. You know, I'm not going to endorse that. I'm not proud of the spanking. However, I have to say on some levels it works. Works is in quotes. That's good. It seems to act as some kind of emotional release valve for him. Then he calms down and we can talk things through. If some sort of switch doesn't get changed, there's no talking to him. You can't collaborate at that point. Of course, I hope I will become good enough at Plan B that we don't get to this stage. But in the meantime, all right, here we go. Ready? Um, the whole goal, of course, is, and um, this is, you know this already, the whole goal is for your child not to explode, and that's why you're doing the things that you're doing. What I can't tell, I can't tell from your email, is whether you have a, whether you've, completed the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems yet. One of the things doing that would help you do is have a list of the unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes, explosions, if you will. And, of course, explosions, challenging episodes, are when he is doing the things that you're doing, that you're telling me he's doing. Sometimes throws things, slams doors, runaways, runs away, swears. So he's around the, well, he's on the spectrum of looking bad. He's a door-slamming, running, throwing, swearer. That's what he is. Um, none of those nice things to endure. All of those things we would like to try to help him not do anymore. The things you're telling me that you're doing are things that you're doing in the heat of the moment. I get that. I'm glad that you have spanking. I'm glad that you have works in quotes because while you may feel that it works to get him to calm down in the heat of the moment, there are many things about spanking that don't work. Um, among the biggest is you don't want to teach your child that hitting in the heat of the moment is a good idea. He might not just throw things at you or call you names anymore. He might start hitting you back. So I don't think we want to continue with the hitting. I understand what you mean. Um, I, I know that you're getting relief, but there probably are other things you could do to get relief besides hitting. But here's the line that throws me a little bit. You're saying uh, if some sort of switch doesn't get changed, and I think what you mean there, well, there's no talking to him. You can't collaborate at that point. That's the part of your email that I'm wondering about. I can't tell if you are taking your list of unsolved problems, deciding which ones you're working on right now and which ones you're not working on right now, and doing plan B proactively on the ones you're not on the ones you're working on right now. I can't tell if the plan B that you're doing is primarily in the heat of the moment. That's called emergency plan B, and that is not good timing. But I can't tell from your email if that's the type of plan B you're primarily doing. If it is, well, exactly what I'm describing is what it would be ideal for you to be doing. You need a list of unsolved problems. Make a list. It's a very important list to have. 
decide which ones you're working on and which ones you're not working on. We're going to talk about the ones that you're not working on in a minute because if you've decided that, for example, given us an example of him running away in a playground, if playgrounds are tough places for your son, you either want to try to solve that problem proactively way before you get to the playground or you want to decide that you guys aren't doing playgrounds right now. That would be plan C. Either way, he's not exploding. He's not exploding because the opportunity isn't there. He's not at the playground. Or he's not exploding because you've learned a lot about what causes him to explode on the playground. You've engaged him in the process of solving those problems. There are solutions in place that are realistic and mutually satisfactory. And now the main risk of exploding is that a solution doesn't work, but at least you're on your way. With plan C, you're not going to the playground, in which case he's not exploding at the playground. With plan B, you're solving the problems that you're learning about so that he doesn't explode on the playground. And here's, of course, the method to the madness here. Um, Yes, there are some things you could do if your child explodes. Some of them are fine, reassuring him. Physically holding him, that that could get you hurt at some point. Spanking him, that could get you hit at some point. But your whole approach to exploding, you want to have it be as proactive as possible. So I can't tell from your email if that's already happening. If it's not, that is steps one, two, three, four, and five. That's huge. That's how important being proactive about it is. And from your email, you haven't, besides the playground, which is a hint, I don't know the specific uh, conditions in which your son is throwing things, sometimes at you, sometimes across the room, slamming doors, or calling you names. That's the missing information. Those are the problems that we are either doing plan B on proactively or dropping using plan C. That's what you're doing. What should you do if a child explodes? That's the question that you began your email with. Well, you want to do what you can to de-escalate, but not in the form of hitting. Uh, Plan C, there's two forms of it. Well, three forms of it. There's not exposing the child to the unsolved problem that's causing him to explode in the first place. That's one form of plan C. But if you find yourself in the heat of the moment, then you are, when you're using emergency plan C, ending the disagreement and not causing an explosion and dropping your expectation. I know if you were on the phone with me, you'd be telling me uh, what's going on in the playground I can't exactly do that on. Well, I don't know that, so I can't speak to that. And yes, there are things you might have to do on the playground. You might have to physically escort him off the playground, even if it causes an explosion, if he's hitting another kid, throwing sand in the face of another kid, biting another kid, 
but just remember those things happen late in a sequence of an unsolved problem. That's why 99.9% of this needs to be proactive. What defusing, what de-escalating looks like in your son? Well, I'm just encouraging you to find other options besides hitting. Uh, I get it. It it uh I don't I don't know if hitting serves as an emotional relief valve for him. He may simply be shocked. Uh for some parents hitting is an emotional relief valve for them and not an ideal one either. The whole goal here is for us not to need an emotional relief valve in the heat of the moment, but rather to solve problems proactively so that we don't need an emotional release valve for anybody. I hope that answers the question. I thank you for submitting it. And, of course, as always, feel free to email back. Feel free to um, call in. Feel free. What else we got here? Hold on, I've just I want to move on to another question, but I'm out of that file for the moment. Here's one. Uh, Dr. Green, our family has just adopted the CPS model for our five-year-old son. He's currently in family therapy for disruptive behavior disorder, to label it. Actually, disruptive behavior disorder is a category. No medications and challenging every single day. I'm going to get rid of some of the identifying information here, except to say that he has siblings and a new one on the way. When my husband and I stick to the program, our son responds better than what we've been doing in the past. But every day is a work in progress. My problem is understanding his behavior when there is no trigger. It is mean and very mischievous behavior that he exhibits all the time. For example, kicking sand at strangers, hitting his sister for no reason, teasing constantly, impulsively grabbing things, making poor decisions, and not listening. When I see him behave this way for no reason at all, I do not know how to respond to it. Our frustration with him heightens things and makes things worse. He uses inappropriate words. This is where he is on the spectrum of looking bad. You're stupid, idiot, dumb, I hate you, or even worse, I want to kill myself, rip my head off. It's extremely sad for my husband and I to hear him say these things and behave this way. And What do we do for the situations where our son is doing these things? We can handle the predictable triggered situation, but the other behaviors described above is tearing at us. Please advise. All right. Uh, number one, I've moved away from the word trigger. I don't use the word trigger anymore because it makes it seem like the event setting in motion those challenging behaviors occurs just prior to us seeing those challenging behaviors, and that is frequently not true. So let's substitute the word unsolved problem. Now, of course, mean is too vague. Mischievous is too vague. 
Kicking sand at strangers, hitting his sister for no reason, teasing constantly, impulsively grabbing things, making poor decisions and not listening. All right, let's see if those are specific enough. Kicking sand at strangers. That's a behavior that your son is exhibiting under certain conditions. The unsolved problems are the conditions in which he's kicking sand at strangers. Kicking sand at strangers on the playground? Under specific conditions on the playground. When he's playing in the sandbox, I'm trying to just imagine places where there would be sand for him to kick at strangers. Those are the two that I can come up with for a five-year-old. Being at the playground, being in his own personal sandbox, being in, I suppose, being in the sandbox of somebody else. But So I got sandboxes and I got playgrounds. And now I just want a little bit more information so that I really have my unsolved problem as specific as I'd like it to be. What's going on when he's in these situations that are setting the stage for him to kick sand? Are people not playing a game the way he wants it to be played? Are people trying to play with a toy that he thinks is his, um, just off the top of my head? Now we have our unsolved problems. See, unsolved problems contain information about who... Now, if it's strangers, the who would not be so important. What? what? What's he kicking sand at strangers about? Where and when? And in this case, the what feels especially important to me. So in other words, I get it that he's kicking sand at strangers. That's the behavior he's exhibiting. Behaviors don't tend to be unsolved problems. Here's the. So now we've got to go back and observe if we don't know this information already. under If he's not kicking sand at strangers, whenever sand is readily available to be kicked, then under what conditions is he kicking sand at strangers? Those are your unsolved problems. And I think you're going to find that sand kicking at strangers is situational and that there's more information we could have about the sand kicking. Here's the absolute worst case scenario. The worst case scenario, and this is not tragic, the absolute worst case scenario is that you have no idea whatsoever about when he's kicking sand at strangers. The specific conditions under which sand is being kicked at strangers, in which case, if you're doing plan B with him, you're saying, I've noticed that sometimes... Like, you have no information whatsoever about By the way, this is impossible. Because he's not kicking sand at strangers all the time. He's kicking sand at strangers sometimes. So at the very least, we have a when or a where to throw into this. So here's what that might sound like. But, but beyond that, let's say we have no information whatsoever about these specific conditions in which sand is available to be kicked, but sand is being kicked. Because sometimes sand isn't being kicked when it's available to be kicked. This is the worst it would sound like when you're trying the empathy step. I've noticed that Sometimes when we're at the playground, you kick sand at kids you don't know. What's up? And now we're about to get the information we need about these specific conditions in which sand is being kicked at strangers. Information that we may not have observed, in which case 
we would have included that in the unsolved problem. Here's what that would sound like. I've noticed that when other kids on the playground want to play with the toy you're playing with, that's very upsetting for you. What's up? Truth is, I'd, I'd like to keep the kicking sand at strangers part out of the unsolved problem completely. Sometimes you throw a kid's behavior at him when you're trying to gather information, and he stops talking. But it's not tragic if you throw the kicking sand part in there. But sometimes it's not ideal because the kid is sort of having his behavior thrown at him. So we need more info so that we can actually talk to your son about his sand-kicking behavior. And I suspect that once we get that information, sand-kicking isn't going to be the biggest part of it. The biggest part of it is why, when, who, where, over what. Hitting his sister for no reason. <laughs> I like that one because, you know, if, if you asked my son why he hits his sister. Well, he doesn't really hit his sister very much, but if you ask any kid why he's hitting his sister, I guarantee it he's not going to say it's for no reason. But I'm going to apply the exact same principles to this as I did to sand kicking. Hitting his sister is not the unsolved problem. The specific conditions in which your son is hitting his sister are the unsolved problems. For him to hit his sister, his sister has to be around. Not hitting his sister if she's not around. But I'm also so that's who. But I'm also assuming that he's not hitting his sister every second of every waking hour. I'm gonna assume that he's hitting his sister under specific conditions. Now those are going to be my unsolved problems. When she wants to play with a toy that he wasn't done playing with yet but that he hadn't played with in the last half an hour. Um, when? When she's passing by him as retribution for something she did earlier, or for a face that she fired at him? There's two ways to get that information. We could get that information through powers of observation ahead of time. And once again, here's what that would sound like if we have that information. I've noticed that sometimes when your sister wants to play with a toy when you guys are playing together, that's very upsetting for you. What's up? Do you have that information? That's a situation in which you have it. Worst case scenario, you don't have the information. I've noticed that sometimes you hit your sister. What's up? Now you're looking for that information. And so what might he say? She makes faces at me. Or he might say, she always plays with my toys and I'm not done with them yet. Good. Now the empathy step can continue. But I am not convinced on either of these that there's no trigger. Teasing constantly. That makes that makes teasing sound like it is nonstop. And I know that it may feel like it's nonstop, but I'm betting it's not nonstop. Somebody's got to be around for him to tease them. Now, whoever he's teasing, not now I know that whoever he's teasing has to be around for him to do the teasing. Now I need to understand the dynamic better. But there's not no trigger because he's not teasing that person when that person is not around. 
in collaborative problem solving, it always takes two to tango. I'm not necessarily saying that the person he's teasing is doing something to provoke him, but I'd certainly want to look closely at that possibility. Impulsively grabbing things. That, well, if we're sticking with trigger, then we're going to be in trouble. I agree. But if we're going with unsolved problems, then I would want to add more specificity to that so that we were including in the unsolved problem the things that he is impulsively grabbing. And where he is impulsively grabbing them. Are we talking supermarket? Are we talking Kmart? Are we talking at the dinner table? Now the unsolved problem is becoming more specific, and now we are in a better position to talk with him about it. It's, it's going to be pretty hard for us to gather great information if we say to him, because the, the unsolved problem would be way too vague, too broad. If we to say to him, I've noticed that you impulsively grab things, you know, we'd have to put those, even if we put that in terms that a five-year-old could comprehend, and maybe he could, but I notice you grab things without thinking about it. Now here's the demand we've placed upon him in the information gathering department. He's now got to think about all of the things that he sometimes grabs all of the different reasons that he sometimes grabs them. And I bet we're going to get an I don't know or a shrug or silence because that's just too much for him to sort through. So better to try to be specific about one or two things he's impulsively grabbing. Make your unsolved problem much more specific This is, I'm sure, specific to certain settings. That, at the very least, makes the unsolved problem more specific. Making poor decisions, that's thats way too vague. We, we can't run with that. We need to go with... I don't, I, never, I don't even know what making poor decisions means. Making poor decisions usually means he's doing something we wish he wasn't doing. But now that is an extraordinarily vague unsolved problems. And finally, not listening. Mm. You mean not doing something he's being told to do? Uh, that's what people usually mean by not listening. Not doing something he's being told to do. Even that's too vague. Way too vague. What are these specific things we are telling him to do that he's not doing Those are our unsolved problems. Uh, stop kicking sand at strangers. Well, that, that he may not be. We may call that not listening. We may call that not following directions. But I would call that kicking sand at strangers. And then, as you've already noticed, I'd want to be much more specific about the conditions in which he's doing that. And those are our unsolved problems. No, you cannot have cheese nips before dinner wanting foods that we don't want him to eat before dinner is the unsolved problem. Not listening is not the unsolved problem. No, you cannot watch that on TV. Watching that on TV is the unsolved problem. Not listening is not the unsolved problem. It's too vague. I hope that that... See, that makes... Doing that work 
um, making what feels unpredictable predictable makes the whole collaborative problem-solving process proactive, and it helps us really understand what's getting in a kid's way even better. Then we've got specific unsolved problems that we can solve. Okay. Looks like we have time for at least one more. Uh, Dr. Green, I have a list. I have a four-year-old son, and looking at the lagging skills and unsolved problems chart, she's, the, the, this emailer is referring to the ALSIP here. I can't seem to zero in on his specific lagging skills. Is there a list of skills that are more suitable for four-year-olds? My answer is no. That list is suitable for four-year-olds as well. And if you have taken a look at the new ALSIP, um, the unsolved problems, well, there's sort of a list of them, but uh, the unsolved problem section should not be throwing you for a loop in terms of its applicability to a four-year-old. Uh, four-year-olds become upset when we don't have the juice that they wanted us to have. They become upset when sharing isn't going well. They become upset, well, they become upset in specific conditions. That's, by the way, unsolved problems are applicable to infants. He becomes upset when he has a wet diaper. He becomes upset when he's hungry. He becomes upset when he's hot. He becomes upset when he's cold. He becomes upset when we lay him down at night. These are all unsolved problems. So the, the unsolved problems section is as applicable to a one-week-old as it is to my grandmother, who's going on 100 in January. That's unsolved problems. But lagging skills do... I'm just going to take a look at some of the lagging skills on the ALSIP here. Do infants have... Diff, do, do, do four-year-olds have... Infants do too. But do four-year-olds have trouble handling transitions? Yes. Doing things in a logical sequence or prescribed order... Yes, now they may not know the logical sequence. We may be telling them the logical sequence, but they may be having trouble doing it in a logical sequence. Difficulty persisting on challenging or tedious tasks. Sure. I mean, we'd want to keep in mind that we're dealing with a four-year-old here, but there are four-year-olds who have tremendous difficulty with that, significantly more difficulty than we would expect from a four-year-old. Poor sense of time. Now, a lot of four-year-olds don't have any sense of time. A lot of four-year-olds do have a sense of what it means when we say we're leaving in five minutes. They know what five minutes feels like, but some year olds don't, four-year-olds don't. And if you have a four-year-old who doesn't, then that uh, lagging skill, if that lagging skill is causing difficulty in your household, well, that's a lagging skill that applies to your four-year-old son. Difficulty maintaining focus. Now, we don't expect enormous focus from four-year-olds, but if you walked into a lot of pre-K and preschool classrooms, you'd see focus being demanded of four-year-olds, and you would also see four-year-olds who are having great difficulty maintaining focus given the demands that are being placed on the four-year-olds in that classroom. If the teachers feel like that's no big deal, then it's not an unsolved problem. But if the teachers in that classroom do think it's a big deal and their response to the four-year-old 
having difficulty maintaining focus is setting in motion challenging episodes. Well, now we have unsolved problems, these specific tasks on which the four-year-old is having difficulty maintaining focus on. And we have a lagging skill that has suddenly become much more meaningful. Now, whether that, and this is always interesting, whether that is a pre-K or preschool teacher having unreasonable expectations for focus or whether it's a four-year-old who's having difficulty maintaining the level of focus that most four-year-olds in that class are maintaining, or both, that would require a finer-grained level of analysis. But in the meantime, we may have a lagging skill, and we definitely have an unsolved problem. Now, I could go down the entire rest of the ALSIP and try to pick ones that um, let me let me just do a few more here difficulty managing emotional response to frustration so as to think rationally there are four-year-olds who do that skill just fine and there are four-year-olds who don't if the kid is with someone who is saying to themselves well four-year-olds can't really do that yet then they are probably not placing demands on it for it on the kid but if this four-year-old is distinguishing himself in a major way from other four-year-olds because of his difficulty managing his emotional response to frustration, and or if the adults he's with expect him to be able to do that at the age of four, or at the very least, if he's having difficulty managing his emotional response to frustration, they don't want him demonstrating that in ways that would cause people to get hurt. Well, now... In these specific conditions in which he's having difficulty managing his emotional response to frustration, you have an unsolved problem, and you also have a lagging skill that is suddenly applicable to this four-year-old. I'm not saying every lagging skill on the ALSEP necessarily applies. I'm just saying a lot of them could apply to a four-year-old, especially in the form of the of unsolved problems. I think we have time for one more. By the way, we've got a one of our listeners emailing and saying we knew at a very young age that our child was challenging. What we found to help, very helpful, and to be done proactively is teaching the child to take a break and to go to a quiet place to calm him or herself down. So that's something that you'd want to arrange with the child proactively ahead of time, what we're going to do if we find ourselves in a situation where we're getting upset. Thank you to our emailer. We have time for one more. Let's do it. Let's see if we have time for it. My five-year-old son is struggling to control his emotions. I was wondering... If you have specific recommendations to help him manage his frustrations without breaking down into tears and yelling. So he's a crier-yeller. He has no sense of his volume, interrupts, cries when frustrated or angry, and is easily angered and frustrated. To say I'm drained emotionally and physically would be a major understatement. What in the world do I do? I don't know how to even begin Plan B at his age. 
Well, um, what you've described does sound draining emotionally and physically. So we gotta we gotta help you get Plan B going. If you haven't already, this is an email from a while back. We've got to get you. We've got to get Plan B going. But the fact that he's five years old, uh, that wouldn't be an impediment unless there's something about your five-year-old that would um, make Plan B hard for him. And you haven't told us anything about your five-year-old that would make Plan B hard for him. So my main recommendation is that um, you do exactly as I've been recommending that some other folks do, That whose emails I responded to today. Um we need a list of unsolved problems. These specific conditions in which he's breaking down into tears and yelling. These specific conditions in which he's frustrated or angry. We need a list of lagging skills so that you have a sense about who he is and why these specific situations in which he's becoming frustrated and angry are so upsetting for him. So lagging skills are the why. Unsolved problems are the when. Uh, If you haven't found it already, um, the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is available on the Lives in the Balance website in the paperwork section. Um, Then decide which unsolved problems you're going to start working on first. I'd recommend you pick two or three of them and which you're not going to be working on. Those are plan C. That process helps you do plan B proactively 99.9% of the time. So I often find that it's not an age issue. It's a timing issue. Emergency plan B doesn't go any better with a 17-year-old than it does with a 5-year-old. Proactive is our key word here, but it's only possible to be proactive if we complete the ALSIP ahead of time, decide what we're working on and what we're not working on ahead of time, and sort of organize the effort so that we're not working on what we're not working on, and we are working on proactively what we are working on, and that's plan B. And that's what I'd recommend you try to do so that you're not physically and emotionally spent. And um, the the bad news is Plan B takes energy, especially in the beginning, but it's not just the beginning. Plan B takes energy. If you're drained, it's going to be energy you may not feel like you have right now, in which case if you really feel like you're not able to find that energy somewhere, I would recommend you seek out a mental health professional who is familiar with collaborative problem solving and let them be your energy in the beginning. If you are able to muster that energy, um, you should eventually start getting energy back. Even though you're expending energy on plan B, you're solving problems, that's energy back, You're not dealing with challenging episodes as much anymore. That's energy back. You you may actually be starting to enjoy your child again 
That's energy back. You're not walking on eggshells anymore. That's energy back. You have a decent sense of conditions in which he's likely to run into trouble and the ones in which he's not. You know when to be vigilant. You know what problems you need to solve. All of that is energy back. As always, feel free to call into the program if you wish. I'm sorry to say that our first program of this school year is now over. We'll be back next week. Take care.